Hello and welcome to the Yoga Syndicate. This episode is Viveka, distinguishing, discriminating between the bullshit and what is not. Ellen, Viveka, discriminating, what is it all about? Well, discriminating is, uh, like you said, at least to uh, to be able to distinguish between what is important, what is not important, what is true, what is not true, what is bullshit, and not is what bullshit. And when it comes to what is bullshit and what is not, this also relates to our hab- habitual thinking, all our ingrown patterns that we repeat again and again, which uh, which uh, pertains to a lot of the, the bullshit that we surround ourselves with. So Viveka is about uh, training the mind to be, to be uh, truly able to distinguish. Wow. Uh, I think discriminating... Um is something we gave up for Lint, uh, since I feel that uh, many people are struggling just with the, the mere uh, concept of what it means to discriminate, let alone discriminating for their, uh, their own true good. Um, do you think we've, uh, we've lost our ability to uh, discriminate? I think discriminating or distinguishing is definitely a, a practice and uh, it's all about being able to see ourselves, to uh, to step outside our own uh, way of thinking, our own culture and what is generally and socially accepted and uh, use some other parameters to, uh, to distinguish uh, what is just superficial and, and, and what is real and what is of any essence. So Viveka is like uh, honing in. It's um, it's it's finding a space, a place uh, in your mind to understand how this space and this place in your mind is mapped out. Correct? You could you you could say that uh, to and I think above all to understand your mind and to understand the the pitfalls and the deceptions that your mind create for you all the time. Some people though they um, although they're discriminating. Like you say, they they understand the pitfalls, but some people like to jump right in that pitfall because they're lacking a certain, call it, you know, attention, if you will. So they, uh, today I at least, when I discriminate others' discriminating processes, I almost uh, hypothesize that people like to be miserable instead of making good discriminating decisions. Exactly. We love to jump into the pitfalls because we're comfortable with what we what is known to us, and it's much harder to uh, to put yourself in a, in a different space, looking at things from a different perspective. Not to talk about putting yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah, because the danger, right? Um, when you don't put yourself in someone else's shoes, um, well, there's probably no danger in not literally putting yourself in someone else's shoes, because the shoe fits, doesn't it? But but when, when you don't experience uh, what's going on in the realm of someone else's realm or, 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 or space, then you, you become very limited in your approach, your understanding, and then you then, therefore, once again, in level two, become limited to your own understanding, your own concepts. I think this is especially apparent when we when we try to study another set of thoughts, another culture, another philosophy, and we tend to see everything with through our own 
cultural lenses. So that's definitely one one place we could uh, we could do with some uh, some distinction, some viveka, and see w- what is uh, what is us, what is just our habitual pattern, and and what is actually what is actually going on here. Now you know, not many yoga classes in the West where you go in and. Uh, in the middle of doing asana and breathing and, you know, different <laughs> Americans bringing their water bottle and and, and uh, placing it with the label out uh, towards the yoga teacher. Uh, uh, will you hear that yoga teacher then bring up these concepts that you'll find in the Samadhi Pada, uh, the second great chapter of uh, these yoga sutras from Patanjali, uh, where one is actually viveka, discriminating um, do you, do you think that, uh, we need to be, uh, we need to train or practice or be told or that we better understand, uh, first of all, what is discriminating? Second of all, how it can be of any benefit to us? And third is, is it something we can practice, um, in the company of others? Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to be a little bit more critical about ourselves and, uh, in general, I think we perhaps this is just uh, an illness of the the Westerners that we we tend to overemphasize our own uh, rational powers. We we think we can understand everything through through rationality. That we are kind of neutral. So that's one of the that's definitely one of the pitfalls. Well, you know, speaking of a pit or a seed or something in you know in the middle of, of, of a piece of fruit, in order to harvest uh, this beautiful fruit that you've let grow through your practice, uh, why or can you explain to me or us why discriminating um, is part of the practice of yoga in the samadhi uh, pada? Would why why should one go through this contemplation and understanding of how to better discriminate? Will it help us breathe? More will it help us focus more? What is the end goal of being able to discriminate? Uh, well, uh, it depends on on circumstances. You could you should definitely be uh, able to uh, to discriminate when you uh, when you want to learn something. What is reliable knowledge? What is what is a reliable source of knowledge? What is a reliable teacher, for instance? That is something you should uh, think about and 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 not just uh, follow the stream. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to that teacher then, being reliable. Uh, what, what in discriminating whether you have very little understanding of these 196 sutras or anything else for that matter in this world, what in that moment will allow you to be able to decipher or to look upon this teacher and deem them uh, credible? Is, it, is discriminating also making up your own set of rules and looking at someone with your own open heart and saying this is working for me, it doesn't need to be uh, solid, uh, you know, factual-based information that I'm getting from this teacher. That I actually am discriminating based on a feeling, or does discriminating uh, lend to actual truths and actual technique? And what's your thought on that? 
See, that's the whole uh, problem, Alice. When you when you're asking this work, when you're saying this works for me, that that that's when you have to be a little bit critical. Why does it work for me? Does it work for me because it's comfortable? Because it conforms with what I already know and my my already existing opinions. So sometimes, if you really want to learn something, you have to go out of your uh, of your com- comfort zone. And uh, if we're talking about uh, a teacher in terms of uh, of a guru, someone who can truly guide you towards yourself, it's it might not be so comfortable at all times to encounter this guru. And that's when the danger and all the misconceptions and misunderstandings and possible failures and pitfalls uh, open up like a big abyss. Like a big abyss. I don't know if you can even say that, but it sounds kind of cool to say 10 times, you know, like a big abyss. Like a big abyss, you know. I, I'm thinking this big abyss, uh, when you do and are confronted with this this guru, um, I mean, a lot of people, their guru is their cat, the guru is their local, you know, hi, my name's Sandy, and I'll be taking you through this wonderful vinyasa flow today. And then suddenly someone's like, la, it's her, it's Sandy, she's my guru. Um Again, we're all so different in how we perceive things, so we all must be very different in how we discriminate. Well, but maybe we need to discuss this uh, concept of guru a little bit, because uh, in uh, certain terms in, on, and in certain contexts, a guru, uh, it's again one of these words we have adopted and that we use in, uh, in a lot of circumstances without really defining it. So in one sense, a guru can just mean a teacher yeah and in in that way anyone that teaches you something a skill or or uh, whether it's uh, whether it's a yoga sequence or some other skills or music some art some whatever can also be termed a guru so that's kind of a ordinary mundane guru so we could say that uh, uh, or what was the what was often the case in the Indian society was that your parents would be your, your gurus. You would learn the skill of the trade from your father. So he would be your guru. And you would pay great respect to anyone who, who taught you something. Now, when it comes to the, to the spiritual path, this is, this is where it starts to become a bit problematic for us as uh, Westerners. And I think for one we don't have so much respect for people who have knowledge. We don't regard our teachers so highly more often than not, especially not in our modern uh, education system. So when we encounter another another uh, tradition, this guru, this idea of a teacher, it means something else, right? When you're on the on the spiritual path, or when you're on when you're a spiritual seeker, um, you have this idea of a of a guru um, that is quite different from uh, from the professor you would have at uh, at university. So you add something something extra to your notion of uh, what a guru is, or what you su- expect a guru to be. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, from an academic perspective, if you're inspired by a great professor and you, you know, you add something to that notion, you, you, you then, it becomes a notion, it becomes a pragmatic way of looking at something that someone is giving you. Um, And then maybe in the East, maybe the guru is teaching you also, not only through great wisdom or divine delivery, but also through by example. Uh, like I, I went to a place one time and it was called the Gurukala. 
which means the the home and the house of the guru and uh such you know with vijaya and i thought well fantastic beautiful pristine knowledge delivery but what strikes me uh and which makes me discriminate my own behavior even more is studying by example the way he um you know uh without fail uh is doing everything in a absolute legitimate giving knowledgeable and credible way i uh i that's my confrontation with the guru then i come back to the west and i can hear someone mention the word guru and it's not like i've attained any higher wisdom and understanding of what that means but since i feel like i've touched uh and you know the walls and sat on the floor of a guru an actual guru for me uh then i come back and then i'm this is the downfall the like you say the abyss of the west again in our degenerative society is that you come back and you're just like oh my god uh where's the sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band they're 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 not around anymore techno 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 mm-hmm. was that a question uh, I, it's not a question <laughs> it's just kind of a i think i think you know i i have this you know i realize this is 2020 this isn't 1920s you know in the roaring 20s where everyone was aspiring and allowing new things to happen and and you were in the middle of the industrial revolution and people you know even before the coffee shop people were so busy being busy that it it was just fun because everything was new um nowadays everything just is easy like we were discussing earlier when we had a bite to eat that there uh there we seem to live in a society that is just um has an overbearing amount of both things uh thoughts notions uh that when when will you be able to give way uh to not only a guru but to this this a certain peace and solace that you can discriminate uh, legitimately and and discriminate wisely um i don't know how you feel about that but even i who feel like i can discriminate are constantly you know going through all these yoga concepts and how to think better how to sharpen this pencil and and write better and just be better uh still things just seem to get in the way i don't know if it's the news or someone else or uh what's your take on that well i think you uh I relate to what you're what you're saying your experience with uh, with Vijay and the the power of teaching by example I think that's a really important feature of a of a guru at least on the ordinary mon- mundane path unless it's not on a on a tantric path where things are the rules are completely different but uh, the power to to teach by example it brings you on the on the right path because it you know but in teaching by example it uh, enables you to cut through all the bullshit and distinguish the important from the unimportant and that is really the meaning of renunciation you know mm i like that like the sadhis and the sages i'm and you know renunciating um and sort of clearing a path for yourself in order to have a clarity to then discriminate and see your student or to see even a guru's guru uh, since all gurus yeah. have one right 
And you know, that can also be painful at times because we are so damn comfortable with our, our bullshit and our laziness and our indulgence in, in all kinds of distractions. So actually to be with a, with a guru who, who is not concerned with that, who, who lives like, who has like renunciated um, these things. It doesn't mean he lives in, in poverty or anything like that, but only one, just one who distinguishes uh, between what is important and what is not important. It also makes you see yourself and 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 that can really be like seeing yourself in in the mirror and uh, it's not always so comfortable no well okay so people back in the day they uh they were renunciating uh everyday habitual patterns but in modern day terms when we renunciate we need to re renunciate bullshit right mm -hmm. we need to Get we, rid of it. We need to reevaluate our uh, values. That's what it's all about. It doesn't mean that we necessarily need to to change our, our lifestyle, but uh, whatever luxuries and possessions and things we have, they're just a mean to an end. They're not. Uh, they're not the aim of uh, of our lives. It's very sad if if it comes down to that. Speaking of an end, um, let's back up a little bit. The topic is Viveka. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the beginning uh, of how yoga was uh, introduced to the West through Vivekananda, <laughs> which I call the uh, the blissful uh, um, discriminator, coming in 1896 to Chicago and um, to this uh, conference on religion and sort of you know bringing this this hatha yoga pratapika til and and his his concepts and his studies of bringing it back to the vedas and basically you know laying laying the groundwork for the west um through someone that was given the name the dis the blissful discriminator uh vivekananda um do you think um do you think he did a good job uh obviously a lot of people do yoga they like yoga but are they discriminating why they in particular in the west like it why they enjoy it now, naturally, you and I know there are some hardcore, amazing, uh, beautiful practitioners out there that, that just live, breathe, and believe that uh, that they're on the, the, the righteous path that they, in fact, are. But then you have this other 99.5% that, that, that are looking for a nice, thin body, uh, the, the right kind of yoga mat. Um, they walk down the streets. Uh, with a certain kind of bag that holds the yoga mat, then they come into that certain kind of yoga teacher who has more makeup and perfume on than they normally would have in everyday life. And you just have to ask, did, did Viveka do a, a good job or did we just do a poor job uh, understanding what he brought to the table? Well, I think Vivek Ananda was also doing his Viveka and I think he was uh, presenting uh, uh, what he regarded as uh, important within the huge yoga tradition. And I think rather than the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, he was interested in the the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali that he translated and named the um, Raja Yoga. So, uh, so whether he did a good job or not, well, he did a good job from from his uh, from what he was. Uh, I guess he was aiming to do was to pre present uh, um, uh, the the Indian culture and uh, to the West and uh, uh, and um, displaying it as a as a very noble, rational, uh, philosophical uh, uh, system, which uh, greatly impressed his uh, his audience. Mm, I. 
I see that, you know, but for some odd reason, you know, I always think that, you know, if you look back to the core of anything, uh, of how someone met, uh, the first time you learned a word in a new language, it's almost like you can remember that moment. And you know that if you would have perhaps done that a bit differently or been in a different setting, that then that would have shaped a whole different direction, maybe even a better direction of how you would have gone about that. So I, I critically try to go back and envision what was it like for this this Indian fellow that uh, that didn't hop on a plane, but really somehow through the, the grapevine of telecommunications found out all the way in the East that this was going on and pressed forward, uh, made and stated his case. And people were probably more preoccupied with looking at him than listening because it must have been very fascinating to see an Indian uh, who, who, who looked like this giving a, 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 a speech uh, like that uh, in a what would be otherwise uh, a very sort of not necessarily Christian-based society, but one that is a little more sort of America in its in its in its industrial heyday. You know, uh, is it hard to get the message across um, when there's a lot of pollution? And I'm not talking about from the industrial revolution. I'm just talking about from the industrial mind or the industrial colors that you see with uh, industrial ventilation in a modern-day yoga studio? Is it hard to get the message across? I think uh, our friend Vivekananda was definitely the right man at the right time. And I think the time when he uh, arrived in the, in the West was a time where we had started to turn away from religion, you know, and there was maybe a vacuum in society at that time. And the funny part of the story is that those who organized this uh, uh, event the, um, uh, and invited Vivekananda, they were the, the Christians who actually wanted to show the Christianity's superiority in the, in the world of religion. And uh, Vivekananda came and he totally stole the show. And uh, he, he was uh, immensely su successful in um, establishing his uh, Vedanta societies throughout the um, United States and uh, even, even did a tour in, in Europe. Uh, so um, uh, what was your question? No, I just, my question was basically, you know, you don't have a second chance to make a first impression. And, and you just answered it. You said that he made, a, in fact, not only a good impression, but he, he, uh, upon being invited under auspices uh, of, of, of making Christians seem superior to something else, he stole the show. I agree. I just was, um, I'm thinking again about this, uh, this, this curious creature. You know, if one was to discriminate nowadays, you know, if you saw someone that was, you know, I see the pictures. He didn't look like he was the greatest yoga practitioner himself. Um, he seemed a little bit on the chubby side and so on and so forth. Not that that would make any Difference, but in discriminating, uh, what is a great yoga? What is a wonderful guru? What is a great uh, practitioner or someone that inspires you? Um, he wasn't, or was he, the world's best practitioner? Do you know? Uh, I know that he was. Uh, he was not very interested in the physical aspects of uh, of yoga. He was more interested in the philosophical side, in uh, the the Yoga Sutras, which is more of a renunciate and um, tradition. Uh, and he saw the uh, Vedanta as the culmination of the Indian philosophical um, culture. Um, so I think he was a 
he he succeeded in in what what he was doing and um uh, and i think uh, as i said i think there was really a, a need for that uh, in the society at the time when when he arrived well n- bringing us back to uh where we're at now 2020 um the discriminating nature of individuals in a yoga setting uh do you think you know when you when you bring up things like this you know s- uh pada and patanjali and the vedanta and, and anything that is remotely philosophical do you think that this needs to be incorporated uh when you're teaching yoga as such or do you think just offering a yin class and a and a vinyasa and a, an occasional uh kundalini class uh, is 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 good enough or is it all about intentions or do we need to know how to better discriminate? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question because uh, I think even coming to a class and just doing the the physical exercises, just spending an hour and a half without without looking at your mobile and without talking too much, is very is very good for people. And we're back to something basic, and we are back to something that is to a great extent missing in our culture. Is about you know being together. And, and doing something together that is uh, that is nonverbal, that is releasing stress and tension, we don't have much of that. Uh, it's kind of it's lacking in our society, and I think that has um, had a, a, a great uh, impact in in why we have embraced yoga to such a great extent, and why we today embrace the the physical side of yoga more than the intellectual side of yoga, because that has definitely changed since. Uh, uh, Vivekananda's time, but still, somehow, due to uh, Mr. Vivekananda, we are still uh, we are still very occupied with uh, with certain sides of of what he was propounding. We're still reading the Yoga Sutras in every teacher training, even though it has very little to do with our physical exercises that most of us do in the yoga studio. And mm. um, when it comes to to teaching, well, I think it's. Uh, is it is it important to know this uh, philosophy to know the yoga tradition as a yoga teacher? I think it certainly helps. I think it's a bit sad when when yoga is taken out of the context, when yoga is devoid of of any ethics. If the if the teacher does not have an ethics around uh, teaching and and what they are transmitting, I think that's well. I personally, I think that's a bit sad. Well, then, okay, now here's the aspiring teacher listening to this podcast thinking, well, what what is my quick fix uh, or what is your uh, quick answer to how I, as an aspiring yoga teacher, can be less, you know, um, less, um, or not less, but in fact more critical of how my approach is. Uh, is a non-approach a very good approach to have in just kind of, letting stillness take over and not being too wordy or stealing someone's focus? Is is this allowing the person to discriminate whether or not they need more breath or whether they have more space in their mind to, to stretch out that arm a bit longer? Or or do you think um, it's okay that the, the so-called teacher in the setting um, uh, has command over every waking second of a yoga class? Well, I think there's no such thing as a non-approach. I think that's a delusion. Uh, and if you think you have a non-approach, or then you're just not aware of what you're doing. 
So I think as a as a yoga teacher, it's it's good to again to be try as much as you can to be uh, an example, uh, and uh, at least <laughs> at least when you're in the the yoga class. And I think it's also better for any aspiring yoga teacher to take it as a you being of service to other others. Mm. And if you can realize the the benefit that you harvest from that. I think that um, that could be a great uh, realization. That could also be a great part of your viveka, your discrimination, uh, uh, because there are so many other temptations, you know, to have followers on Instagram, to be popular on social media, to have fantastic pictures of yourself, to look fit and uh, and being successful, and and all these other things. There are m- multiple things uh, to to focus on these days as a, as a yoga teacher and our economic system and the competition and the and the ever expanding uh, commercialized yoga world certainly enforces that so <laughs> i think it's uh, it's maybe more important for for yoga teachers than than many other people to to try to steer very clear of all these uh, um, non non-essential things in other words aka bullshit aka bullshit yeah. well then you know now you're now you're bringing in the concept of survival uh of the fittest and yoga people seem to be very fit on the inside and on the out. So it seems to be, you know, somewhat of a, uh, yeah, it's, it's taking your space from others that are also helping people breathe. Now you'll find a, you'll find more uh, yoga centers than you will fast food restaurants in the United States. And often there's not even time to even give the studio a name. You just put a big, you know, four letter sign out in front that says yoga and people, uh, if they have time, they'll they'll stop in there and 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 look on the look on the poster outside. If there's a, a class coming up while they happen to be in that strip mall, I am um, I'm thinking you know uh, about the discriminating nature of a teacher. In maybe it would help them to understand that, like you say, if they can just back off a bit in order to express the need and express the the reality that this teacher also is. Uh, an eternal student and back to the concept that uh, many gurus um, claim and that is is you'll never be a good teacher unless you're a great student first Um, do you think uh, some teachers are a little bit too quick to the punch with their 200 hour training that that in yoga uh, they make it too easy to to allow someone to truly call themselves a teacher shouldn't the syndicate or some other uh, great uh, organ of some sort of organization go out and um yoga 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 police uh uh these these uh these i wouldn't call them pretenders but these these lack of understanding understanders i think you could start teaching anytime you can always teach what you know you can teach your friends your family anyone who wants to learn a bit of yoga i think you can always do that i think the danger comes when you stop being a student like you said I think in, I mean, every guru also has a guru, right? And uh, that is a process that, that never stops. If you think you know everything, then then you are just ignoring uh, everything you don't know. Then you're really deluded. So. Think, think how wonderful that would be that, uh, you know, you're laying in your bed. It's, it's not late, but it's very early in the morning since a lot of classes seem to be early in the morning. And, you know, late at night on a Friday, Saturday night, you hear the sign, uh, the sirens of the police, you know, going by in bigger cities, you know, and it, 
sometimes it just seems sort of like uh, it's almost like it's part of the city feeling just to hear sirens, right? Imagine if it was early in the morning and you heard some sort of, you know, yoga syndicate car driving around with a, you know, a siren on the top just saying, yoga, 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 going out policing mm. uh, all of this shrivelry and uh, just bullshit. And you, and you would just jump out of bed and open your philosophy book, right? Or sit down on your mat and, and meditate I intensely for 45 minutes at least. Exactly. And I would get in one of those self-driving Teslas and uh, put the put the light on the top and uh, and and read the philosophy on the way to the, the you know the crime scene um, because in many ways it, it is a crime scene. Let's just uh, you know you had you had a, a follower that asked you if you could you know discuss that sub subject between teacher and student mm -hmm. and you know the it's not a matter of quality versus not not but sometimes let's just take for example you're being put in a position that is anatomically wrong or you yourself are anatomically leaning over in the trikonas and have done so for years ultimately at your age of 45 to 55 during that 10-year period that one so-called guru teacher of yours never lifted up your shoulder and had your chest face the ceiling or turn your head upwards or create a straight line in those shoulders i mean there you are in that trikonas and bent over and these calcium deposits are literally hurting you can people perform crimes by not understanding how to be a good teacher? Uh, yeah, I love that description of the calcium building up in your in your hips hip joints. Uh, it might, you know, there are different strategies of uh, of teaching, and it could be that the teacher want you to learn by your own mistakes. Uh, that might be deliberate. If it's not deliberate, maybe the the teacher should. You know, study some um, anatomy, so you you can't really you can't really know. But I think it's it's definitely an uh, advantage to to keep learning and 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 try to uh, and, and and try to stay hungry for 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 learning new stuff. Mm. Well, okay, staying hungry. How are we going to stay hungry when we all overeat, when we overconsume? You know, you have this, uh, you know, you have a wonderful teacher training coming up. And, you know, one of your modules is about this degenerate society of ours. I mean, do you think it's possible to even discriminate or distinguish uh, a darn thing when you're just already, uh, you're already mentally, physically, uh, emotionally constipated? You just want to throw up or give up. I mean... How how can you possibly back off and breathe to discriminate? Well, it's a it's a good uh, question, and it's definitely the irony of uh, of our age, isn't it? That we uh, in our consumer society is now uh, selling us a tradition that started out as a very humble renunciate tradition and uh, a, a, a very a tradition for a very marginal group that was that was outside society and uh, today you see yoga is a or what we call yoga is is become a mainstream so i think in order to discriminate or in order to to be truthful to the tradition i think we need to to step back and and look at um uh, where did this? What were the values that uh, s surrounded the the development of uh, of yoga? Why did people do this? Because they, in a way, they also wanted to uh, to have a break. 
They mm. also wanted to have a break from from society that that they regarded as as uh, too much or too materialistic or too full of uh, meaningless duties and meaningless uh, repetition. So maybe we can find some similarity there, and and maybe we can we can reassess our our values, and and try to find uh, our our path within this mass consumer society and get rid of our constipation. Mm. I think we'll we'll leave it at that and maybe go grab a glass of water and just, you know, allow this to, to rest so that we can also take a step back uh, on pushing forward with the thought of how to decipher between uh, this versus that. Um, but uh, in closing, would you, uh, would you uh, have the pleasure of maybe telling us... Um, how do you how do you yourself ellen johannesson um since you you know you have a very colorful life and and how you how and what you've done and and obviously you've sharpened the tool of your mind i'm just thinking and you you know quite a lot about different backgrounds with yoga how what is your one stop action in the period of one day of finding peace if if you know if if taking a step back is is a great tool and being able to discriminate how do you find your peace uh, if you could just share with us in a, in a little personal level uh, how you go about that. Well, um, it's funny that you mentioned peace because on one hand I find I, I don't have much peace because there is so much to learn out there and, and the more you start to, to scratch the surface, the more is below, the, the more it is to, to learn and it's so much happening in the in the world of uh, of yoga research these days and in the in, and there are so many languages to learn and learn and and concepts to uh, to uh, uh, um, concepts to uh, to understand so uh, I, I, on one way i'm kind of <laughs> feel i'm also getting more and more restless in in a way but uh, anyway i've been a, an ashtanga practitioner for for more than 25 years so i i definitely find some some peace in my in my physical practice in my grounding putting my hands on the floor my feet on the mat and uh, going back to the to the very basic and as i grow older i also enjoy meditation more in the in the sense of getting back to uh, to uh, basics trying to understand my mind a little bit more because at the end of the day all these things that we are tolling with are are also um, concepts mm. so eventually yoga is to go beyond this these concepts and uh, and go back to the suchness I like suchness. I like I like this apyasa vairagya sort of approach you have of you know holding on to letting go and letting go of holding on, and at the same time you find peace in something that someone would consider very physical, and then you find uh, drive in in you know the first poison of the path being avidya. You don't you're seeking out even more knowledge to become less ignorant and in your in your own scope. So I can really appreciate that as a final statement. Uh, uh, in encouraging all of you out there to just go and and both you know physically you know mentally since this yoga is this connection of mind body body mind if you can get out there and connect to to both new concepts to to both eliminate differentiate distinguish discriminate what is and what is not just a big pile of shit so 
With that in mind, I would like to close off by saying that this episode was Viveka, discriminating, distinguishing between what is bullshit and what is not. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Yoga Syndicate.